Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios. We are squarely on the road to Roland Garros. We have two guests this week ready to gear you up for all the tennis you need, all the clay court action in Europe. First up, it's Mark Knowles, ready to break down all the action in Madrid, the ATP and WTA expanded draws. We discussed that. We discussed Alcaraz as the favorite with Holger Rune, a slew of Americans, Sitsipas ready to charge. On the women's side, it's Igas Fiantek and the rest of the field. Can Sabalenka, Coco Goff, Jesse Pagul make their move? A lot to break down in Madrid with Mark Knowles. And then first-time appearance by Ari Wolf, a TC play-by-play man who's been a tennis lifer, very passionate about the sport. He said it was his first love. We talk about his path to broadcasting. He's done it all from Olympic-level sports like table tennis to NFL preseason work with the Kansas City Chiefs. He's covered every sport imaginable, but tennis is his first love. We dive into what he thinks are the best storylines in the game and much, much more. It's Mark Knowles and Ari Wolf on this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Let's start the show. All right, now with us on Tennis Channel Inside In, always a pleasure, Mark Knowles in the building, clay court season. Knowlesy, welcome back to the show. This is fun because we've got a lot of action. Both tours are playing. We're about a month out from Roland Garros. Couldn't be a better time in the tennis calendar. Yeah, thanks, Mitchell. <laughs> always great to be here to talk to you. It's an exciting time. Obviously, we had a couple weeks on the clay. A lot more variety, a lot of sliding, yeah. some drop shots. So it's really an interesting interesting part of the year as we head into the second major of the year. Before we get to kind of the storylines and what happened, uh, what's happened in the, in the events in these tournaments, what are your thoughts on the expanded draw? This is the first time we know tennis can be set in their ways, good and bad. This is a, a new shockwave to the system. A bigger draw in Madrid, a bigger draw in Rome, the Indian Wells-Miami format with like a week and a half of action. What do you think about what this means for the players and also for the events themselves? Yeah, it's interesting, obviously, right? It's part of the new strategic plan that's been brought in by ATP management. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a player board rep on the player's side, so I was pretty um, involved in the process. You know, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I think mm-hmm. fundamentally it, it's going to be good for, for mm-hmm. all parties involved. I mean, obviously, as you just mentioned, kind of taking the Indian Wells-Miami model um, there's just a lot of things that have to make sure we take care of. You know, there's more mm-hmm. bodies on site, mm. expanded draws, the combination. So there's just a lot of things that need to be taken care of, especially from a player's uh, perspective. But I think overall it's, it's healthy for the sport, right? It's yeah. great to, to get the, the best players in the world, men and women, together um, to showcase our great sport. Well, I'm always a wait-and-see approach. Got to see. And I think it's, it's interesting. It's good in the sense that, you know, you have more matches, you have more opportunities for players to make this tournament and go on a run. And we see how momentum works. Like it's, it could be the break that some of these players need. Yep. And, and that's a great point about having to have more player people on site to put this on. It's a bigger undertaking. Glad that this is able to happen. 
The counter to that would be, and, and we'll see how the action shakes out. There was something about like Monte Carlo where it's just insanity, great matchups in the first round. Stuttgart was was maybe a little too much in my opinion because on the women's side you just had like you know top twenty players that were unseated. I think this is an opportunity for players to qualify when they might not have, and then who knows? You can win a couple matches, gain confidence, and take it from there. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting what you say, right? It could be watered down a little bit. Um, I think the important thing is the way we're trying to move, especially on the ATB tours, you know, expanding opportunities mm-hmm. for more players, mm-hmm. right? The the bonus pool has been expanded from 12 to 30, yeah. so it's a step in the right direction. You know, we've had had kind of a strong direction from most of the players, especially during COVID, um, to support the lower-ranked players. You know, there's been a mm-hmm. big divide in kind of the money that the top players make uh, in comparison to maybe a guy ranked 65, 70 in the world. Um, understanding how competitive the landscape is, but also, as you mentioned, hey, we all love great matchups, right? Yeah. It's, it's similar to the majors when they switch from 16 seeds yeah. to 32 seeds. You don't quite get maybe the same mouth-watering matchups that you might have before. Right. So, you know, like you said, it's a wait-and-see process. Um, I think that kind of the the foundation of it uh, should provide benefits for both. And, mm-hmm. and like I said, the important thing is, you know, giving opportunities and also our premium products, getting to see our mm-hmm. best players in the world play, right? Making yeah. it mandatory. Um, you know, we see it in other sports, right? Mm-hmm. We see it especially in the NBA, mm-hmm. right, with load management and so yeah. forth. It's about providing the best product for the fans. Yeah, that's that's a great example. And, you know, every sports league has these issues that they have to monitor and also tweak as it goes. There's no one solution. It's a, it's a process, as you know. Uh, one other thing, because every time you're on this show, we talk about new and exciting ideas and maybe, you know, your reaction and how you would change or tweak things yourself. Where do you land on, because I've seen it on TC Live, the toss debate? Because I was watching the match today with Bedosa and, Ch- and Cacharedo, and there was some tosses that were caught, and that's been a, a thing. I've seen Andy Roddick talk about it, where I don't think this should be an unlimited rule. Do you have a uh, solution that you would, if you were, you know, in charge of this thing, would you let, would you limit the tosses? Would you say, hey, you know, you get one extra? How would you approach that? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, it's, it's not something I've ever spent that much time on. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there have been the outliers, right? Mm-hmm. We all remember Carl Kuchera. <laughs> that Agassi <laughs> match, I do the remember. Agassi match, you know. <laughs> but I think there's generally just been outliers, right? There's a couple yeah. of guys that have some toss issues. But, you know, it's, it's probably not a bad idea. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was Andy's suggestion, you know, maybe limiting to – to two or three, or, or maybe having a limitation to it. Yeah. Um, I know in my playing days, I didn't have that much experience with guys that really kind of had bad tosses or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe occasionally every now and then if it's a tight moment, somebody might, you know, quickly yeah. throw the toss in the right area. But it's not actually, honestly, it's not something I've actually spent that yeah. much time thinking about just because it, right. it really didn't bother me much in my career. Right. And if it's one a set or something like that, and you can limit it. I, I also do think, and it's funny, I just bumped into him, but Mark Petchy is always big on like the 250s. Let's just try some stuff out. Let, let's, you know, let's experiment with rule changes. You see that with minor league sporting events, with basketball, baseball, hockey, like 250 events. You could try some things. And if it doesn't work, move on. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah. obviously, the ATP does a good job yeah. of doing all their trials at the next-gen ATP finals, yeah. right? That's where they've implemented a lot of the stuff, <laughs> especially a lot involving the coaching, the trial, and so forth, maybe no ad, and these types of things. Obviously, they have the shortened sets. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, there's nothing wrong with trying, right? Tennis mm-hmm. is interesting because it's such a it's such a um, conventional sport, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's sim- You kind of... Kind of group tennis and golf together, right? Yeah. There's so much history and tradition that anytime you mention change, mm-hmm. it's everybody kind of box at it. Yeah. Um, so, so it's hard to implement change. 
Well, as we kind of gear up and, and start the process of this Madrid ATP and WTA event on the men's side, for different reasons, obviously, no Djokovic, no Nadal, each battling with varying degrees of injury or just taking some maintenance off in Djokovic's case. So, you know, we understand why, but it also is a sizable hole. Now the talent is there. Alcaraz has kind of assumed that alpha dog role, but no Djokovic and no Nadal coped with obviously Federer's retirement. I think in, in you can speak to this too, like the locker room, not having those, you know, larger than life figures, you feel that. And I think it is opportunity for a lot of players, but it's a sizable loss in the terms of what these guys have meant to this tournament, especially. Yeah, 1,000%. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's going to be impossible to ever replace the big three. I mean, let, let's call it the way it is. Um, three of the greatest champions, not just in tennis, but in, in any sport. Um, obviously, with Roger retiring, mm -hmm. obviously, Rafa was with some injury concerns. Um, hoping the best for him and, and Novak, mm -hmm. obviously, maybe a little bit of an elbow issue and also mm -hmm. maybe kind of biding his time as there was, you know, some responsibility to play Banya Luka. Mm -hmm. And how, you know, mm -hmm. mixing the schedule is always tough. He wants to be... At his at his peak for Roland Garros, um, but I tell you the men's game is pretty fortunate. <laughs> I actually felt uh, I remember going on record about this a couple of years ago. Listen, we'll never match the exploits of the big three, yeah. um, but I felt that actually the game might be in as good a place, if not mm. better, upon the retirement, just because I felt we had more guys. Right, it, it wasn't going to be as certain of the right. results with three guys. Obviously, Murray and Vavrinko winning some majors as well, but generally it's been the big three. Um, we're going to have more guys to spread oh. between, and, and we have some incredible personalities. I mean, the yeah. difference in personalities. I mean, you take Holger Runa, you take Sitsipas, you've got some villains. <laughs> and then, like I said, we are so fortunate. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz, wh what can you say about this guy? Mm -hmm. you, you think about the ambassadors that we've had for the game on the men's side, Nadal, Federer, Djokovic, they've been incredible. Yeah. And this guy, Alcaraz, looks like he's a he's a package of all of them. I mean, he seems perfect. Yeah. He seems absolutely perfect. And he's got a big responsibility, right? He's about to turn 20 years of age. He'll no longer be a teenager. And it seems like he's willing to be that alpha dog, to be yeah. the one that turns the eyes, that brings mm -hmm. the fans to our sport. So uh, very lucky on the men's side, I think. Well, you brought up a couple of good things. One being, I agree completely. I don't think Djokovic, like his schedule did get changed. Like he has to play Serbia. It's his home tournament. That's probably, I would guess, why he's not in Madrid. Otherwise, he would have taken that week off and probably been okay for this one. 1,000%. You know, that also said, yeah, I mean, I also think too, I mean, whether or not, it's almost like these figures, like Djokovic and Nadal are such giants that when they're not in, it is an opportunity, like regardless of, you know, their skill level, but players like Alcaraz, players like Rune, I think, okay, like these guys aren't here anymore. Now it's, you know, my contemporaries, even though those guys are, it's still that like, you know, and you could speak to like when you were coming up, there were legends in the locker room that made you think, okay, this is surreal that I'm on the same court with them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think it, it definitely opens some opportunities mm -hmm. up, right? When it, it's different, right? You talk about that yeah. aura of a Federer, a Nadal, a Djokovic, yeah. you know, back from my era. I mean, I remember nobody had a bigger aura than Boris Becker. I mean, I remember being <laughs> yeah. in the locker room and it was just, it was a different feeling in there. Yeah. You were so intimidated. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely different, right? Yeah. I mean, Alcaraz, like I said, just about to turn 20. He's the alpha dog when those guys are out, you know, and then you have that, that subset of players like the Sitsipasses that, haven't quite won a major yet right. and feel like, hey, you know, before mm -hmm. these young guys like Runa and Sinner come and take everything in Alcaraz, mm -hmm. hey, I want I want to get my my yeah. fair share. Zverev coming back from injury. Will he have a chance to challenge for a major again? Do you think Alcaraz 
the way it's positioned right now, he's the overwhelming favorite in this tournament. And then we'll see with Djokovic and Nadal. But do you think that's about right? Like Alcaraz is clearly the favorite, the man to beat. I mean, I think so. I mean, yeah. I think I was super impressed with Sinner in Miami. I thought mm-hmm. he played. I remember a match I actually called <laughs> it against Andre Rublev where I thought, wow, all of a sudden this guy has <laughs> elevated his game. Obviously went on um, to beat Alcaraz there. I think that Sinner is one of those guys. Now he's got Darren Cahill mm-hmm. in his in his coach's um, box. Cahill's a guy that knows so much about the game. He's been with all the greats. He knows how, you know, he knows how to get it done. Mm-hmm. And in, and also talking to Darren in Miami, I think they have the mindset where they're not scared of the challenge, mm-hmm. right? They, yeah. they they see what Carlos Alcaraz, they see the threshold that he's creating, and they want to try to match that. And so I think that's going to permeate. I mean, you saw that also with Sitsipas in the final uh, when he lost to Alcaraz, kind of heaping a lot of praise on Alcaraz, mm-hmm. right? Like, even though you're younger, <laughs> you're setting the standard, right? So it's, Yeah, and it's so true. Uh, Alcaraz in that match, I mean, winning Barcelona, there's something magical about his ability to just show back up and dominate an event. Like, even if it's a week or a month even off, he comes back like he never left. Well, think about how dominant Nadal has been on the clay. Yeah. And so young in his career. I mean, Alcaraz is trying to do something this week. He won Barcelona and Madrid last year. And he's trying to do the double again. That this run year. last year was ridiculous. Djokovic, Nadal, Djokovic, Verev, back to back to back. And you also, I mean, you can, he preys on him for a lot of reasons. Tactically, like his mind is what's been standing out to me. That sits bus match, what was that, like 17 drop shots? I mean, not yeah. that many, but double digits. He reads the opponent so well. He has all the tools in the toolbox, but it's how he decides to use them that I marvel at the most. Yeah, I mean, I think another thing that I marvel at is how how much enjoyment he has playing the game. It'll be interesting to see if that mm-hmm. changes as the pressure mounts and as mm-hmm. he continues to win majors, and then the conversation shifts to can you catch some of the all-time as greats. Li- as life weathers him a little yeah, bit. Exactly, yeah, exactly, because right now he has that youthful exuberance yeah. where he just seems happy, right? Yeah. And he's a guy that's had quite a bit of adversity already when you think about the injuries that he's had to deal with, you know. Mm-hmm. Got to number one in the world last year, ended the year number one, but couldn't play the World Tour mm-hmm. Finals because of injury. Couldn't play the Australian this year, but... Then he bounces right back, right? He's, yeah. he's had a terrific season, although he's had to deal with injury. And I, I also think Sitsipas, you bring up a good point. Like his game, especially on this surface, suits so well. He is looking healthier, which is a great thing. I, I look at him and how he plays, and, and there's a, I'll call it stubbornness, both good and bad, right? Like his braggadocious behavior carries him a lot and is the reason why yeah. he's so good. But there are times like in the Alcaraz match where I'm like, man, he's just... He's just letting him drop shot. Like, he's playing his style. There isn't the necessary adjustments. And, again, he's a top five in the world player. But I wonder sometimes if going to a plan B could help him against the elite of the elite. Well, it comes down to variety, right? That's that's what Alcaraz (laughs) has brought. I mean, immense power, incredible Mm -hmm. mover, but also variety. And Mm -hmm. if you look at Tsitsipas' game, you're 100% right on the clay. Should probably be his best surface. Gives him more time. He likes time on the (laughs) one-hander. The one thing I would like to see Sitsipas develop in the next couple of years, he's got to get a better slice back in. Mm. He's got to be able to have the variety, kind of like a Roger Federer, be able to hit the penetrating slice, be able to hit the off-pace slice, be able to mix in the drop shot. Mm -hmm. Right now, he's just a straight (laughs) one-hander that hits over the ball, needs time. You know, if you think, okay, Stan Vavrinka was able to do it, but Vavrinka's (laughs) backhand is elite. It's it's arguably one of the greatest ever. And it's way more powerful Way more powerful. Right now, 
Tsitsipas waits on the one-hander and kind of it's more of a roly one-hander. Um, so if you only have that, you got to mix in a great right. slice with some variety. So that would then allow him to use his incredible athleticism to dictate with the forehand. It's weird too. The and I don't usually look at numbers and say, "Ah, oh, it's it could be one of those things." But he struggled in those five hundred level finals recently. I don't put it in the same way. Like Rublev winning a thousand, that was like the mental block. It was the next step. And yep. Sitsipas does raise his level, but it'll be very, very fascinating to see. The the last thing I wanted to mention with one of the, I guess, not co favorites, but one of the you know longer shots based on the odds is Volgaruna has been showing some tremendous growth and. The winning the match, winning in Munich over Bodic, how he did it, 5-2 double breakdown match points. That was a fight that I don't know that a lot of people expected a player that can be a little volatile to dig in. And it thoroughly impressed me that he stayed locked in and came back and won that match. I tell you, <laughs> Runa's one of those players you love to watch. I, I would not have liked to compete against him when I played because he's got some moxie, right? He's got a, a, a different approach to the uh, game, but... As you watch it, there's a lot to admire. Um, you know, I watched him actually live in Monte Carlo in the final against Rublev, and it was kind of an interesting match because he has periods in matches where he kind of just goes away, where you're kind of like, okay, there's there's the maturity level. He's young. You know, this is all new to him. But then he has, you know, stages and matches, like you said, in the final against Bodic where, you know, he had every reason to go away, and he didn't, right? He has this... He has this crazy belief in himself, which is super important. He's a tremendous athlete. He's super young. I think it's going to be interesting to see how he evolves as a player, but also as a character, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it kind of gives you the feeling when you think a couple years back to Medvedev when yeah. he had you know the run-ins with the crowds in New York and how he kind of became the villain, but also, yeah. <laughs> also with a great personality, yeah. funny guy. You know, I've never met Holger Runa personally, but just kind of yeah. sitting back and watching him, I think he's going to be one of the more intriguing players on the men's tour. He gives it right back to whoever gives it to him. Crowd, <laughs> fans, umpire. <laughs> he he's does just not, he right does not shy away. He is fun to watch. That's a perfect point, too, about there are times when he gets broke or he doesn't hold, you know, or he can't break where it's like love hold, love break, missing by insane margins. And that's the one thing where I'm like, just stay in the fight a little more because the gifts are there. Like, Again, I, I keep reiterating, like, he's got the game to match the personality and match how he plays. But 100%. Like, you wouldn't be shocked if this guy just yeah. out of nowhere gets hot and wins yeah. a major. Like, immediately. Because yeah. he just, he has yeah. incredible self-belief. Uh, his top end is pretty high. Yeah. And um, he's going he's gonna to do a lot of good things. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. More with Mark Knowles here on Tennis Channel Inside In. Uh, I want to do the American Men Outlook because a lot of a lot of names in this event, a lot of high seeds in this event, and you know the clay surface. We've talked about American tennis being on the rise, the depth. Clay is not one where we would typically expect this to be, but here we are with Taylor Fritz, a Monte Carlo semifinalist, Francis Tiafoe, Houston champion. Paul's had success. Ben Shelton's looked promising too. 
And if you had Corda in the mix, which we'll see with the injury, that's five names where I would expect some potential to do some damage here in Madrid. Yeah, 100%. I mean, obviously, it's a little faster conditions. The, the weather's been very warm. Um, so that means the court's going to be pretty dry. It's going to play fast. We know there's some altitude. Um, so the conditions are quick. You know, Taylor Fritz, I've always admired his approach to his game. I mean, he's obviously, he's had the tools, the weapons, but he's had to work maybe harder physically uh, on that side of the game, and, and he's done it, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's got that. I've always been super impressed with his mental fortitude on the court. The guy never gives up. He, right. He's a tremendous fighter. And I think he's one of those guys, he can just will himself to win. I, I really believe mm-hmm. that. So um, I think the game is all there. He's got everything, so he's definitely somebody to watch. Um, you know, Corder's always been an interesting guy. Um, I think, personally, his best results, you know, depending on his health, right? Wrist, wrist, is, yeah. wrist is a serious thing. Let's see how he develops. Let's see what his health is like. You know, earlier in the year, I had him as a as a pretty strong dark horse at Wimbledon. I think his best surface grass. is going to be grass. Mm. I really do. I think as he continues to improve his serve, he's one of the best returners in the game. He's got a solid all-court game. Yeah. Um, and considering not a ton of guys that are great on grass per right. se, right? There's yeah. so many guys that are good on clay. Right. Um, and then, you know, Francis Tiafo, of course, a nice title there in Houston. He's growing in confidence with his athleticism. You know, had a nice run to the U.S. Yeah. Open. So he's got the belief now that, you know, not just make the second week. Now it's talking about, hey, can I be on the final weekend of a major? When you say fast courts at Madrid, that makes me like Fritz even more going into this event. But, you know, in addition to that, I was just thinking, because we take for granted Nadal and Djokovic and Alcaraz to a lesser extent, these guys that can just win on clay any surface. Does the court condition being a little different, has that changed your approach to how you play and what to expect? Because... Again, like the greats, just it seems like figure out a way how to win on all these surfaces. But how important is court condition in this entire road to Roland Garros? Yeah, you got to be. You know, Madrid is different, right? The, yeah. There's a there's a a number of factors that make it different. As I mm-hmm. mentioned, um, I think I was calling a match yesterday with Riley, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I can't believe this is Madrid because the years I was there was always raining. Mm-hmm. The years when I played, it was always sunny and dry. Mm-hmm. And so I know those conditions, and it's fast. So. When you think about a Taylor Fritz, you think, okay, fast conditions help Taylor. The only thing you have to be a little bit cautious of is at altitude, you need a lot of spin as well. Like you think about a forehand of Alcaraz or Nadal, because as you accelerate the RPMs, you get much more from the court Mm -hmm. and the conditions. When that ball hits, it's Mm -hmm. real heavy Mm -hmm. into the opponent's racket. Um, For Taylor, it's about relatively flat, especially Mm -hmm. off the back end. The forehand, he's added a little bit more margin. But I think that if he does run into any difficulties, it'll be that, right? If his timing's yeah. a little bit off, can he create enough margin? It's going to be super interesting. Obviously, he's got one of the biggest serves. Yeah. Um, I think also for a guy like Tommy Paul, mm-hmm. who's got a great kick serve. Mm-hmm. He's very good physically. He could do well on those surfaces because he likes to move forward as well. Yeah, obviously, Ben Shelton is, is always in the conversation <laughs> with a serve like that, right? It's so. like super raw with Shelton, but you think that there's, you know, when it's... When that clay is molded, it could be something special. I think over time, he will love to play in Madrid especially. Right. Because he will get so much value on his kick serve, and he's athletic. He'll have time on the ground strokes. I think that'll really be one of his favorite destinations. I think it was Isner who said that Madrid, one of the courts, was his favorite court to serve on. I think it was a Madrid-like outer court where he's like, I could just, (laughs) (laughs) there's no room. You know. Trying yeah. to return an Isner or Opelka or Roddick serve in yeah. Madrid, 
Uh, yeah. Not fun. He said it was like his favorite, like court to Madrid. It was, you know, interesting. Uh, the rest of the men's just kind of going through who else is in it. It's pretty exciting because you do have Felix OJ Aliasim returning to the mix after some time off. Alexander Zverev, who does look like he's rounding into form after the injury from a year ago. And then I'm completely convinced, Mark, that it's a tactic for Medvedev to downplay his clay court. You know, I don't like to be here because he can say what he wants and, and he's hilarious when he does it. But he's a top 10 to 15 clay court player in the world. 100%. <laughs> Listen, Medvedev's yeah. become the master of controlling the narrative. Yeah. He really has. You know, he, he, he's got a great personality. Uh, you know, he's leading the tour in match wins, four titles on the year. I mean, it's been an incredible season. Um, you know, definitely his game doesn't translate as well mm -hmm. on the clay for sure. And rightfully so, he yeah. gets the ball relatively flat. As we yeah. said, you know, spin is so important on the clay, creating angles, spreading the court. But, you know, he's such a great player that that is yeah. clearly his strategy. Yeah. He's going to underplay it all day long. Five in a row finals in hardcore. Like, yeah, sorry, your game doesn't translate quite <laughs> as good. That's a pretty high standard. feel real sorry for you. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the women's side now, just, just switching over to that. Well, like Alcaraz, Igas Piantec comes back time off question marks just win Stuttgart again and does it without dropping a set didn't have to play her full semifinal with the Anshibor injury but she beat Sablanka on clay she goes back to a tournament where she won I know there's a lot of pressure mark with last year and everything that she did but there's no doubt in anyone's mind that when she shows up on the clay she's comfortable and she's a prohibitive favorite yeah no doubt uh you know her game translates so well on the clay and obviously, she's got a lot of confidence for having played so well on the surface. So, you know, for a player like that, that brings a whole nother level of confidence. It's going to take a special performance, I believe, from another player on the women's tour to unseat her yeah. at Roland Garros. Um, obviously, there's still a couple more events between Madrid, Rome. Uh, a lot can happen. But, you know, if she's mm -hmm. at full health, uh, what we've seen from her last week... You'd, you'd have yeah. to really like her chances. I mean, do you think, like, stylistically, like, how what it would take, like, that Herculean effort? Is it somebody like Sabalenka, who is, you know, the standard second-best player with odds out on clay, and the odds reflect that? Is it going to take someone like that, like a bigger power player, or do you see it going another way where you just have to, I mean, maybe outcraft her? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, <laughs> when, when she struggled, it's been yeah. when she's been overpowered, mm -hmm. um, clearly. So it's going to take... A big performance, somebody like Zabalenka, who can mm -hmm. produce, especially on clay, can Bruce produce that yeah. type of power. Um, you know, Jesse Pagula could possibly hit through the court, mm -hmm. take away time from her, depending on the conditions. I mean, the French is always interesting because, you know, similar to what we just talked about in Madrid. Yeah. If it's cold and rainy, it plays really yeah. slow and heavy. If, yeah. if you get four or five sunny days, yeah. it starts to dry up, it starts to play fast. Um, conditions can change. So a lot is weather dependent. Um, but, you know, you, you still got to win. Got to win a lot of matches through two weeks, so anything can happen. I've always thought with Iga, and a lot of top players are like this, like maybe the critique would be she plays her style and there wasn't as many adjustments, at least in the Rabakina matches. But on clay, it's like, why would you? Don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And this style works so beautifully out here. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, as yeah. I mentioned, the conditions yeah. get dry and quick. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you start right. thinking like, oh, yeah. Caroline Garcia against yeah. Igor Svantec, like that could be an upset. Yeah. Um, you know, so a lot of factors all of a sudden come into play. I do want to give props to Sabalenka because her year's been great. And I know losing the Ega, it's like when Federer lost an adult. It's like there's no shame in being the second best yeah. on a surface with a transcendent player. She's been out there. Um, Anjabor, unfortunate. Like she was just rounding into form, getting healthy, can do so well on the clay. 
It's a tough one. I and mean, we'll see where we see her, but that that's a huge loss for you know the sport, obviously, but as a clay court contender herself. Well, because she brings so much variety, right? I yeah. mean, that's that's been really the key to her, her success is that she plays such a different game. And, and it's important in this game where, where the players strike the ball so cleanly off both wings. Mm-hmm. She brings that variety, the slice, the drop shot, um, brings you know tremendous <laughs> character as well. Yeah. Uh, and she's a fan favorite. So let's hope that uh, the injury doesn't keep her out too long um, because she could, as we know, do very well at Roland Garros. You know, another player that's always been a contender near the top of the list, which I think some people, some odds makers have cooled on a little bit, is Coco Goff looking at what's happened. Do you see, do you see like, I guess I wouldn't say how bad is it, but structural issues with what's going on with her game? Is there things that she needs to fix to get to that elite level, in your opinion? Yeah, I'm a little conflicted on this one because huge fan. I've always been mm-hmm. a huge fan of Coco Goff. Uh, she had an incredible career already as as a youngster. She's done so many great things, but I also know the weight of expectation, right? right. Uh, especially as an American, you know, it's all mm. about winning majors. It's about being number one. Um, yeah. The expectations are very high. You know, she has so many great things. I mean, uh, called her match today. She didn't start off well, but she has this ability. You know, she has a champion's ability to dig deep. She competes yeah. so well. She's very strong mentally. Uh, obviously, athletically, there's not many players that can match her athleticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, two-handed backhand's incredible. Uh, first serve, very powerful. You know, yeah. the the only concerns for her, you know, sometimes the second serve can trouble her, but but the main uh, issue is the forehand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the good news is she gets more time on the clay. Might be trickier for mm-hmm. here this week in Madrid. She historically hasn't done that well in Madrid because, yep. it, like I said, <laughs> it's faster. The altitude, you got to be pretty confident yeah. when you have that extreme of a grip on the forehand. Whereas, you know, generally at the French, she has a little bit yeah. more time. I'm never going to count Coco right. Golf out just because she has so many incredible attributes. I yeah. do think that the forehand is an issue. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what the strategy should necessarily be. I, I'm not yeah. privy to what the conversations are, what the coaches are trying to achieve. Um, yeah. You know, we as um, former players and uh, announcers, we, we yeah. try to diagnose <laughs> what we see. But yeah. unless you really know what the conversation is between yeah. Coco, the coaches, what they're trying to achieve... Right. Um, you don't really know what, what their final destination yeah. is. But, you know, she's she's going right. to definitely challenge. And to her credit, it's become an issue against very elite players. Like, that's the like she's able to beat most of the tour with how she plays, and there still is room to grow. Potapova has been on the rise, too. It's two straight losses to her, but it's a player that's, you know, younger on the way up. And I don't think we give credit enough to how smart these players are, and that goes for the opposition. They're studying your game, and they're – finding ways to try to break you down those little instances. So I'm not entirely worried. And I know she plays Bedosa next. We looked a little compromised and that's, you know, an opportunity for her. If she wins that match, that's, you know, the momentum we talked about and going forward into this, uh, you know, Listen, at the end of the day for the top players, it's mm-hmm. about having confidence in all yeah. your strokes, because mm-hmm. as you just <laughs> mentioned, you know, the elite, they're elite for a reason. If you have a slight weakness, <laughs> yeah. they're going to find it and they're going to exploit it. Certainly are. Uh, one other contender in this term I just want to mention, just always dangerous, good and bad, is I would never want to play Ostapenko just floating around. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just there's a lot that happens there. Like, talk about, like you said, maybe not wanting to play and what's going on. But when she redlines, it's a top five level. You know, it's it's pretty incredible, right? When you think <laughs> yeah. about when she won the French in 2017, yeah. had never won a match at the French, her first tour title, I think she was ranked, yeah, she was ranked 43 at the time, outside of the top 40. 
but she just had that belief, right? So yeah. she is somebody that's starting to round into form, uh, starting to play some good tennis. Mm-hmm. You know, she's one of those kind of like Holger Runa on the men's mm-hmm. side. She believes, right? She has incredible self-belief. Yeah. So she gets on a run, gets the right draw. Wouldn't surprise me. Couple more things with Mark Knowles as we finish up here on Tennis Channel Inside In, talking Madrid tournament just getting going. Uh, unfortunate also that because she had seemed like she'd been making progress, but the health is an issue now with Amarada Kanyu out of the top hundred for the first time since winning that U.S. Open. We know that health and, and being healthy is a first priority, but I, I would and I, and this is where I lean on you for this one. I think grinding her way through like the smaller events, getting that confidence back, even in losses, and we saw it in Miami against Andrescu. I think the game is still there. It's just a matter of getting reps and staying healthy. Hey, like they always like to say, the best ability is availability, right? I mean, mean, that's such a true statement. And, of course, the game is there. She's a major champion, right? You don't don't win a major championship (laughs) by accident. Um, But the reality is she hasn't been able to stay healthy, Mm. right? And, And that affects more than just the tournament play. That's as far as what you can put in on the practice court, what you can do in your off weeks. All those things are related. Um, you know, having been around great players, it's a process, right? Yeah. It starts on the practice court. It starts on the training weeks. And then it, it shifts into tournament play, match wins. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just hasn't been able to have any consistency yeah. in that department over the last couple of seasons since winning the U.S. Open. Well, it's like Andrescu, too, which she's back now for this tournament, which is huge, dodging a bolt with the injury in Miami. But she's looked like a great player every time she's played. But it's just a matter of being out there and being able to you know, yeah, stack exactly. it together. Yeah. Uh, well, the last thing I had on this tournament is if you want to, if you want to feel old, we have a 15 year old who won another match today, born in 2007, Vera Andreva, and these aren't and these aren't fluke wins; these aren't low key wins. Leila Fernandez, U.S. Open finalist, Beatrice Headed Maya, who played some of the best tennis on the WTA, but the 15 year old keeping it going. Incredible, right? All of a sudden, some sisters, Mira Andreva, her sister Erica, who's 18. So you got two sisters there. Then you got the Furutova <laughs> sisters, yeah. Linda and Brenda. So yeah. they're taking yeah. the tour by storm. But 15 years old and unbelievable. She played the Australian Open junior final this year, lost the final. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, she's won two smaller events uh, on the WTA tour, yeah. two, I think, I believe, 60Ks. Uh, two matches now in Madrid. Yeah. She's won 15 matches in a row. She's 15 years old <laughs> on a 15-match win streak. So as you mentioned, and <laughs> these wins have been pretty incredible. Yeah. So watch out for that name. Definitely watching out for her. Uh, I want to wrap this up with uh, kind of leaving the tennis world for a second. You know, the golf thing. I, I saw your tweet about Marty Fish, and I think we got to see. <laughs> this might be the best non-golfer, non-pro golfer that we have in sports. I know you've been, you know, out with him and seeing it, but... You know, 67 in his final round, that's just out of control. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, th- I think all of us that know Marty well, I've been fortunate to know Marty a long time, been yeah. fortunate to play a lot of yeah. golf with him. So, you know, we're all wannabe golfers and think <laughs> we can play the game. But, um, you know, I have a couple yeah. of PGA Tour buddies as well. Listen, Marty is one of those guys, you know, when you walk up to, to a driving range, you know, it's similar to tennis. When, when somebody walks up to a tennis club and all of a sudden you hear a professional hitting the ball, it's a different mm-hmm. sound. And that's what I always say about Marty. When you, when you <laughs> come up to the range, a lot of us can play some decent golf. Yeah. But it's a different sound, right? It, it's the pro sound. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from tee to green, Marty's <laughs> probably as good. And he, and he would say the only yeah. thing really missing is, is the short game probably at the level of the pros. Yeah. But, you know, Marty's a great representative uh, of us former tennis players. He yeah. does a great job.
Got to shout out the tennis community and other avenues for sure. Well, I can't end without saying how proud you must be of, I've been following your son's recruiting trips. You know, Graham's yeah. going all over. I saw Ole Miss, Georgia Tech. We even got Eubanks involved trying yeah, to lead the line. Yeah, exactly. How has that process been for you as a parent on the other side of, you know, this, having your son try to find his dream school? Yeah, it's been really cool, obviously. Being in a totally different space, being in football. Um, I obviously love sports. I've always been mm -hmm. a sports guy, every sport. I'm pretty passionate about all my sports. So uh, to have my kids following their dreams, which is mm -hmm. awesome. Um, you know, my oldest son, Graham, being a quarterback, uh, getting to visit these schools, meet with coaches. Uh, you know, it, it's it's pretty surreal, actually, right? You're Mm -hmm. You're trying to see where your, your son might go to school and what might be the best fit to help him not only develop as a player and an athlete, but more importantly, as a student and, and as a human being. So uh, it's been really cool. Gotten to meet some really nice people and uh, get to go to some really nice schools. It's fun that it's early enough in the process where you can kind of take it all in. There's not as much stress. It's good. And then you have till the senior year left. And, yeah. <laughs> and more kids on the way playing sports, too. So I know that. The last time we talked, you talked about your daughter getting into golf, and it was like, yeah, One it was awesome. Yeah, yeah, I get to go to the range with her. So that's cool. Yeah, kids are very active in sports. So we, we love our yeah. sports. Well, Mark Knowles, this has been a blast. Uh, I guess last thing, are you going to be at game six, you know, cheering on your Lakers? I did go to game <laughs> four. Um, and man, I'm, I'm still I'm still a buzz about it. You know, I've always been I've always been a Jordan Kobe guy I really have. But man, the greatness of LeBron James. Whew. It was just incredible, the display he put yeah. on in game four. Uh, cool. So hopefully hopefully I'll go to game six. We'll see. It's interesting because with what happened, you know, they, they got blown out in game five. But game six seems like it's the series, right? Like it's the game where yeah. you have to have. You don't want to have a game seven. Yeah. Playoff time. It's nothing like it. Well, Mark Knowles, pleasure. Always a blast talking. Always fun to call matches and learn something. Thanks again for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks, Mitch. Always great to be here. Always a pleasure talking to Mark Knowles, one of the best minds in the game. If you get a chance to listen to him call matches, you will learn something. I guarantee that. So thanks again to Knowlesy. It's always a pleasure talking tennis with him. And now we move it on to a first-time guest on this show. It's Ari Wolf, a veteran broadcaster. He's won two Emmys in his career, covered Olympic sports, preseason football, and NFL Network anchor, and now a Tennis Channel broadcaster for the last six years. Tennis was his first love it growing up he discusses why it's such an important part of his life and his fandom as a sports fan and what his thoughts are on the current crop of players the new emerging players like Alcaraz and Ben Shelton it's Ari Wolf now on Tennis Channel Insider All right, now with us on Tennis Channel Inside In. Um, joined now, first time guest on the show. Uh, he's got a couple Emmys in his entourage. He's been very, very successful at a very at a lot of different opportunities, different sports and coverages, Olympics, Kansas City Chiefs preseason now. He's been with Tennis Channel for about six years. Ari Wolf, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to this chat. I wanted to talk about this because the first time you were on my radar were two things. It was table tennis at the Olympics. Okay. And it was the Arena Football League, which we had a team when I grew up in Cleveland, the Cleveland Gladiators. Sure. And I know you were prominent there in the NFL Network updates. So starting with that, I mean, you are a master of many trades, many traits. But I know football's kind of always gotten your heart a little bit with the Madison, Wisconsin roots. Yeah, growing up in a college town like Madison, Wisconsin, college sports were a huge part of my upbringing. It was a huge part of falling in love with football and basketball. While Wisconsin wasn't very good <laughs> when I was a kid, yeah. uh, it meant you could get seats to the game, so we mm -hmm. went a lot. But yeah, football was the first thing that I really fell in love with. I think that 
there's so much goes into football. It's the ultimate team sport. And I got very lucky being in Albany, New York, where they had a, a rich tradition of arena football. Yeah. And I joined up with a team at the exact right time. And our second year, they won their only ever championship. And it's still one of the most special moments of my career. Right was being the radio voice of an arena football champion. And so I got a chance early in my career to do a lot of different stuff. And that's what I recommend to any young mm -hmm. broadcaster is try it all. Yeah. Just, just just take a chance. Because I think if you do your homework, once you master the art of play-by-play, -play, you right. can do any sport. You lean on your analyst a lot. Uh, and so the Olympics was a great opportunity because before I did my first Olympics, Mitch, they, they had me do a bunch of Olympic events in non-Olympic years. Okay. So I think I did eight different sports. Oh. And then you're waiting to find out once they've told you you're getting an Olympic assignment, which was an awesome moment. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, what sports it going to be? <laughs> Is it going to be the pentathlon, which I'm not even sure what's in the event. <laughs> yeah. And then when I found out that I got table tennis, I was like, we can do that right now. Let's get it going. <laughs> Cause I had the background in tennis yeah. and I'd already done a couple of world championships of table tennis. So I feel like I got really fortunate and the Olympics were a blast and it did set me up for tennis because the pronunciations are pretty challenging in table <laughs> right, tennis. Right, right. So that sort of gave me a taste of what it'd be like once I came over to tennis. Olympics just as it's on my bucket list. If I'm still here in Los Angeles when we get there, but I, I don't think you can really replicate the amount of events and just new experiences you get as a broadcaster, but also just as a fan being there, that environment with the opportunity you have to just watch people who are the best in their role to compete is second to none. It's incredible. When I tell people this, they're often surprised. My favorite part of both Olympics was actually being in the cafeteria. Because you oh. would sit at a big table, and yeah. you might have two incredible former <laughs> soccer players who were on break because they called an earlier game. Yeah. Two incredible swimmers. You just had players from all these different backgrounds, and I would just sit there like a sponge. <laughs> yeah. And then they would yeah. want to know about my background. You know, wow. how did I get into broadcasting? And so the camaraderie and the respect right. from everybody who's a part of an Olympics, you're right. It's <laughs> second to none. And what NBC Sports told us when we had like a big introduction mm -hmm. with all the on-air people, and I'm at 30 Rock in New York, and one of the things that they said that really resonated with me is that they said, no matter what you do for the rest of your career, one of the top three things they'll always mention was that you were an NBC Olympic sports announcer. <laughs> and so it made you feel like you kind yeah. of made it. Like this yeah. was the moment. It was, a, it was a really big deal to me. I had a great time doing it. And I'm actually still holding out hope <laughs> that I, I want to do tennis for the Olympics. Oh, yeah. So why not dream big? I figure I've been dreaming this whole way and hopefully yeah. keep it going. We're getting there. Paris in 2024, yeah. LA in 2028. The possibilities are there. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you'll get there. I do want to just bow it up with your hometown. Madison's kind of popping off now. Like, I know it's been a while, but it's one of the growing cities. And it's really been turning into not just a college town, but a big area and a nice metro town. Yeah, my mom still lives yeah. there. We go back all the time, me and my wife and our, and our kids. It has. It's gotten a lot of tech has come into the mm -hmm. town. Uh, I think it's a town where there's a lot of smart people mm -hmm. in different industries. And I think that that has helped promote the city, that it's more than just a university. Yeah. And, you know, it also has the state capital. So you've just got a lot of interesting groups of people. Uh, it was a great place to grow up. I felt... And this is a strange thing, I think, for people to hear. Mm. I felt like everyone in Madison was rooting for each other. Mm. There was there was something that we were proud that we were right. from a place like Madison, which was kind of unique in the Midwest. Yeah. And I remember early on when I told people about my aspirations, I felt like everyone was like, go, go for it. How cool mm. would that be if you could end up becoming a broadcaster? So I feel super fortunate that I grew up in Madison. I feel like that's kind of the Midwest vibe, but Madison especially, it's a tighter-knit community, and, and I get what you're saying there. Um, so you went to Emory first I and did. then USC. 
Was it sports or bust? Was it some form of the sports industry? Was that always on your mind, or did you kind of come into that at USC with the radio and other broadcasts? Well, it's funny you say that. So when I went to Emory, I was really dialed in to get into sports broadcasting. My first job was working as a runner mm-hmm. for CBS Football NFL Broadcast at Atlanta's Fulton County Stadium. Oh, yeah. So I went, and it would be two days of work. Saturday would be a setup day, and that was super fun. I'm having a catch out on the field with people <laughs> during our break. But then Sunday came, and I was in the truck. It's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it kind of freaked me out. Yeah. The amount of you know F-bombs that were flying and just the level of intensity, I thought, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm not cut out for this. But I also, at that same time, had an internship at CNN Sports mm-hmm. where I helped log highlights from different games. And uh, Fred Hickman was this you know <laughs> legendary. So the whole goal was that you would get the play of the day that in your right. game. And so that happened to me three times or whatever the game yeah. I had had the best play of the day. But... Both the experiences kind of pushed me away from it. I was oh. a little, uh, I don't know, I just wasn't sure I had the temperament for it. But then I decided I had this life-changing conversation with my mom. I was going to pursue a master's degree in education and be a high school tennis coach. That was right. what my plan was. And she's like, well, if you could do anything in the world, what would you want to do? And I said, well, I want to do radio play-by-play. And she's like, well, you can become a teacher at 35. Why don't you try mm. this first? And then see if it works. And so, fortunately, I, I took the route of going to USC, got to work at KSCR, doing all kinds of USC football, basketball, and baseball. was a part of the talk show, the college TV show. And once I got a taste for it, Mitch, I, w- I was set. I was committed to doing it. I feel like that perspective, I mean, that's just sound advice, obviously, by your mom. But that perspective of, okay, I have a fallback, but I'm going to, you know, give this a trial run for however many years. But... I'm going to be full go when I do it. It's not so much that, you know, we'll see what happens. It's like, okay, this is, you know, for X amount of years, I'm going full throttle and we'll see what happens. And, you know, USC, it's grind, it's opportunity, but it's, you have to distinguish yourself from a pack of very talented people. Right. And it was super hard to distinguish myself because the early stages, if you're not, you know, a prodigy, like my buddy Spiro Ditas, whose first job was the backup radio (laughs) job with with the New Jersey Nets at the time. I was someone who really had to pay my dues. And I remember Tim Tessalone, the outstanding uh, PR guy from USC who just retired recently. He told me, he said, look, if you want to do this, you may have to convince a minor league baseball team to do radio. You're going to have to sell all the spots. You're going to have to, you be, as he said, live on canned food, whether it's tuna or canned beans. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be poor for a while. And he was right. I convinced a tiny baseball team in Lynn, Massachusetts, the Massachusetts Mad Dogs is independent okay. baseball. You know, I got to do 76 games. Yeah. And while I was there, every stop we had on the road, I would bring a cassette tape of my USC games and give them to general managers. Well, lo and behold, the general manager in Albany actually listened to the tape, liked it, and I ended up working in Albany for four years. So wow. there was just a lot of hustle early on. I can't emphasize enough to young people out there, the hustle will take you so far. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have to be willing to, don't be scared of failure. It's sort of like an athlete. You know, you just got to put yourself out there. What was your favorite part of upstate New York that you could tell people like myself that aren't really familiar with what it was like to live there and experience their traditions? Well, sort of the package <laughs> line would be the falls are beautiful. You know, if yeah. you enjoy seeing the leaves change, I just don't like seeing the leaves change in late September. <laughs> yeah, there, you uh, go. there were long, dark yeah. winters, but the thing I liked the best was the people, their passion mm-hmm. for sports. I had one of the best times of my life. I was calling games for a Division II college basketball team, the College of St. Rose. Mm-hmm. They were very good at their level, and we had incredible runs. I was with them for four full seasons, uh, made it to the Final Four one year, made it to Elite Eight another year. But I'll give you one quick story that kind of gives you an example of the intimacy of it. Yeah, We were on the road 
our top guys got in foul trouble, and we had a senior walk-on named Sean Oregon who came into the game, played great, mm-hmm. four or five from the field, knocked mm-hmm. down a couple free throws. Well, the next home game, two parents walk up to me with a plate of cupcakes, and they said, <laughs> we're Sean's parents. We live an hour away from Albany. We drive 35 minutes to get to where the radio signal is. We sat in our car and listened, and we were just so happy that our son played well and that you conveyed this incredible performance for our sending and gave me the cupcakes. Yeah. I was on the board uh, on the border of tears, yeah. and you just don't get that. It's awesome to work for national networks. Yeah. I'm not complaining, but the intimacy of those kind of moments are something that I'll, that I'll always treasure. Yeah, we know like Alcaraz has great parents, but they're yeah. probably not making cupcakes. <laughs> That's and, right. Yeah, so, uh, and, and I guess you kind of led into it, but with the tennis side of things, you come from a background of playing. Was that always in your blood? I mean, you mentioned maybe being a coach if this didn't work out, but was tennis always a passion as far as sports go? Oh. Tennis was the first sport I played, and it's still the sport I play regularly every week. I just love the game. I love I love how much it's mental. I mean, mm-hmm. the physical part is obviously huge, but the mental aspect mm-hmm. of solving problems, and one of my favorite people to talk tennis with here is Paul Anacone, oh. about you know solving all the different situations. I think it's a thinking person's game, and I've loved tennis since I was very young. Uh, I had dreams of, you know, playing at Wimbledon, which clearly I <laughs> had no clue how challenging it would be. But then, yeah, even after my college career didn't blossom the way I hoped it would, you know, I love tennis. But at that time, you know, I'm 52. There wasn't a tennis channel yet. So the yeah. notion that I would ever call tennis right. seemed completely far-fetched. I mean, I would have had to replace, like, Pat Summerall at, at, <laughs> yeah, at CBS. Yeah. It just yeah. didn't seem realistic. But from right when tennis channels started and when I got to L.A., my goal was always to work here. It just took a really long time to get someone to pay yeah. any attention to someone. You know, I didn't have a name. I had no real background. We needed in the, the rights too. I mean, that's the yeah. other thing is like, that's the, I mean, you know this more than anyone, like the last couple of years, it's been amazing how many, how much more live tennis we have oh, yeah. opportunities for people like both of us to kind of get a chance here from your perspective too. I mean, having the, the love, like it doesn't, you know, like you don't necessarily need it to call different sports. You can be prepared and everything, but having that background and that livelihood helps. I mean, it just, it helps a ton, but it also helps that I've been watching since I was a kid. I can reference (laughs) the 84 French open final where McEnroe was up two sets to love Mm -hmm. on Yvonne Lendl because I watched it. Then other sports, I can read Mm -hmm. all the game notes. I can Mm -hmm. look back at video of games, but if you've actually witnessed it in real Mm -hmm. time, it's different. So compared to any other sport I've done, I feel like tennis is the one that's easiest for me because I've been watching it my right. whole life. There's nothing going to happen on the court that I've never seen before mm-hmm. that I won't be able to explain to our audience. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I think it's a big deal to work here. I think tennis is a sport that's mm-hmm. loved around the globe and to get the opportunity. Because, you know, in football, I've never called a Super Bowl. Well, here I can call a match that Carlos Alcaraz is playing in. So it's unique mm-hmm. to work in tennis where you get to call the matches of the very best players in the world. Was McEnroe your guy growing up? He certainly was. McEnroe <laughs> was my guy. That's why yeah. I referenced that particular. I've always had yeah. a guy. Okay. There's always one player that's always stood out for me. You know, after that, I became an Agassi guy. I was I was all in on Agassi. Then I was fed all yeah. the way till the end. I mean, I think fed to me is the greatest example of a player in any sport. The way he carries himself, the way he shares himself with everyone. There's a level of intimacy with mm-hmm. Roger. You feel like you yeah. know him, even though you don't. And I just, I loved his game. And I, I don't often get into the GOAT conversation because I don't, yeah. I think that there are different arguments. I can say that he played the most beautiful tennis my eyes have ever seen. But I will say, 
that what I've seen from Carlos Alcaraz, he is going to be a transcendent star. Mm -hmm. I think the other great young players mm -hmm. will be spectacular. But to me, Alcaraz is far and away yeah. the great talent of his generation. With Federer, for me, and I'm, I'm with you lockstep, it was also... As I got older, it's how he handled losses. When yes. he wasn't number one in the world anymore, when Nadal and Djokovic had their moments, and it was that's the part where you were jealous. I was jealous, envious of like how does he handle losses? He's a graceful guy, but so gracefully. And that's just something that I don't think can be duplicated. I mean, other athletes, like you said, have been great sportsmen, but will we see a sportsman like Roger again? It's gonna be tough. I don't think so. How about watching Roger cry when he's there with the runner-up trophy at mm. the end of a slam? And him showing that level of mm -hmm. emotion. And again, the sharing part, that he yeah. makes you feel that you're a part of his yeah. journey. You know, I think that his level yeah. of play, the beauty of his game, but I think you nailed it. I think the way that he treated yeah. everyone in the sport and continues to treat everyone, <laughs> he he's just, he's he'll always be the GOAT to me. Hearing that story about how five, you know, 20 minutes after uh, the Wimbledon final in 2019, he's okay and he's, you know, ha you know, and I'm like, I wouldn't get out of bed for like a month. <laughs> I mean, two yeah. match points, yeah. you're yeah. right there. It's your stage. I mean, because, you know, if we look back, had he won that slam, yeah. Mm. All the future conversations Could would look different. a little different, right? Yeah. To have beaten Djokovic on that stage, yeah. both, you know, at the peak of their powers. Mm -hmm. uh, just so you know what a fan I am, my wife and I and our <laughs> six-month-old baby were in Greece because my friend Spiro, I mentioned, okay. was getting married, and Spiro oh, introduced yeah. me to my wife. So we landed in Crete at the exact time the match started. So I wasn't willing to drive the 45 minutes to the yeah. hotel. We found a sports bar near the airport in Crete and watched the entire five-hour match at a sports bar with a six-month-old because I refused to miss <laughs> a good. single point of the That's match. Good. That's good. That's next-level dedication for sure. Uh, Ari Wolf here on Tennis Channel Inside and Kind of fast-forwarding through your career, you get to 2017 is when it starts at Tennis Channel. How did that opportunity come up? I know it was something you were circling, but... How did you first get the chance to get your foot in the door at TC? You're going to like this story. Well, So in 2016, <laughs> I'm doing the Olympics, and we're up in Stanford, Connecticut. That's where we did most of the sports from. My friend Steve Weissman was there doing tennis. And on two different social occasions in our hotel, I ended up in conversations with John Wertheim, who I did not know previously. So by the end of the second conversation, John turns to me and he says, you really know a lot about tennis. I was like, it's my first love. And I said, I've been trying to get in at the tennis channel, but so far I haven't had any luck. And he says, well, you can go ahead and use my name, shoot an email to Michael Haston. So I shoot an email to Haston saying that John Wertheim recommended. He got right back to me, Haston did. We had a 20-minute meeting over at you know, our, our older facility. And then I got a chance in May to come do the first match. And I can say that's the most anxious and excited I've been for any event because if you love a sport so much... You don't know if it doesn't go well, you're going to get another opportunity. So that was the start. I only got a few days that first year. And uh, when Ross Schneiderman really took over, yeah. he gave me a chance when, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't proven in tennis. And I think the more tennis you do, hopefully the better you get. You're yeah. just so much more familiar with all the players, all the events. You've seen other matches the players have played. Right. kind of gives you some context. So, you know, I hope that I'm someone who's going to yeah. be here for a really long time because my love for the game is uh, is huge. You know, reps are huge. Yeah. And I love that story. Wertheim's the best. And hey, Mike Haston was my old boss previously in my old role here. So just great people that give you a chance yeah. to kind of, you know, make your mistakes and grow as a broadcaster and grow in any role that you have. You know, the challenges of TCR and that you notice is tennis all over the world, different time zones, a lot of crazy matches, a lot of crazy match hours, but also... You are someone like a lot of broadcasters here that goes from calling a match by yourself to calling with partners and really switching things up. How has that process been of having to get used to solo versus with a partner and a revolving cast of partners? 
is a huge challenge because I think every play-by-play guy, it, I can only speak for me, but I think most of them feel this way. If the analyst has a great match, we have a great match. But, you know, when you don't know people and you're sometimes mm. changing partners on the fly in a given day, you really have to try to find what works best for that analyst, how to tee them up, how to get the most out of their knowledge. So that that's a challenge, but the more you work with someone, mm-hmm. sort of the comfort comes in. The solo part, <laughs> I actually loved it right away because I wasn't spending as much time thinking about how can I set this other person up. Yeah. You kind of get to talk about what you want to talk about, but there's a risk there as well. <laughs> well, maybe nobody wants to hear what I <laughs> yeah. think is interesting, but I think you start to trust your instincts and that, you know, I watch a lot of tennis at home. And I found that I, you know, especially when I was hearing a lot of solo calls on the world feed, I sort of got a feel for sometimes less is more. If the match is good, just let it breathe. And so, you know, we're all still tweaking it all the time. We're always trying to get better. But just in the past two days, yesterday I was with Bradley Klon, who's pretty new. Mm -hmm. He had some great insights, but there were things, I think, you know, the more we work together. Mm -hmm. And then today was solo. And, you know, it's very comfortable for me now to go solo. I think at the beginning... You're nervous to try to analyze because someone's going to say, I mean, who are you? What do you know about tennis? But I think the more you're here and the more comfort you have, just share what you think. Right. It's just one person's opinion. Leaning on your analyst is huge and building that rapport, which does take time. But I also notice, and you're one of the broadcasters, I can use it as an example, you, you over prep. You don't want to just cram all your info in, but you want to be prepared for different scenarios. I know the prep in tennis, it's, it's no joke. And you can speak to that too. Well, it was pretty jarring at first. I remember my very first day, I had a list of what I thought my matches were going to be. When you've never worked, you don't realize that sometimes it's more like red zone, right? We're going to pop around. Oh, we're at the end of this yeah. match. Let's go watch the third Injury here, break. rain delay there. Yeah, like, and so yeah. I just remember thinking, wow, like every match <laughs> yeah. that's on the grid, I have to at least be prepared that we're at least going to touch that match for a little bit. So that was pretty daunting at first. And again, we've been in tennis for a long time now. You don't look at... You don't look at the draw and think, I don't know this person, this person, this. You know, you're now more comfortable. But those first few <laughs> times here, I, I was pretty tight. I was yeah. feeling the it pressure. It could still of, happen, though. You'll have a qualifier oh, yeah. go on a run. where even, I now yeah. have sites where they'll yeah. pronounce it sort of yeah. in, you hope, the closest version to how they would say it. Because obviously we have different pronunciations mm-hmm. that we Americanize. But yeah, no, there's just, and the one of the things about tennis that is different that I like is you can research drawing your match. Because mm-hmm. once a point starts, mm-hmm. you know you want to be watching it enough yeah. to know what happened, but you've right. got time to learn something right. about a player you've never seen before. And I think realizing you have time as a tennis broadcaster is something that is it becomes a huge asset. It's never feeling like you got to force anything because right. you've got so much time during a match to get in anything you think is interesting. Well, it's, it's been great, obviously, listening to you, but also all the resources that we have here and just to learn stuff from some of these amazing analysts. It's just been great even for all of our tennis educations. Uh, this time, this time frame, too. I mean, you mentioned the legends are kind of on their way out or already out. Alcaraz is coming up, especially on the men's side. It's like we have this transition that's not fully in power, but it's kind of rolling like Alcaraz is here. And I just think it's a perfect time for seeing these generations clash and the next couple of years are just going to be right tremendous. because the overlap isn't very long, right? No. We didn't have a lot of overlap with like Agassi and Federer. Like th- that time yeah. at the moment, you don't realize that it's like how, Pete was out right. and then Federer won Wimbledon next year. Yeah. It was here we go, right? So it does flip <laughs> yeah. quickly, and I think the flip has happened. I do believe that if Djokovic and Alcaraz were to play at the U.S. Open this year, yeah, I don't know who wins the match, but the fact that that's even a conversation says a lot about Alcaraz. There is a joy to his tennis that I've never seen before. McEnroe was an artist 
Federer was an artist, but they rarely looked happy on court. Yeah. The beauty of Carlos Alcaraz <laughs> is he smiles yeah. in every match. And Nadal is like process oriented, like yeah. everything's the same. Djokovic is like maybe the most fundamentally sound I've sure. ever seen. But yeah, you're right. I mean, Alcaraz, he loves being a tennis player. So, so and simple. he is such a true sportsman. Anytime there's an issue with the opponent, he's always fair. Mm -hmm. He'll never, because maybe the chair umpire missed something, try to like take a point he didn't earn. I just mm -hmm. feel that there's something about the way he carries himself. And, you know, I'm a parent of two mm -hmm. young kids. I can already tell that I want my kids to watch him, even if they don't play tennis, mm -hmm. but about how to carry yourself and how to treat your opponent and overall to respect the sport. Whatever sport you're in, to show that respect, I, I just think Carlos Alcaraz is going to be a wonderful yeah. ambassador for the sport. So do you think that, and I'm with you, like it's perfect to have a guy like this in tennis. Do you think it's maybe good to also have the counterbalances because I know a lot said about oh we want rivalries we want quote-unquote villains whether or not you necessarily agree with how they act at times is it good to have that you know oil and vinegar so to speak absolutely yeah. I mean I think that's what made tennis so great when I first fell in love with it. I mean Jimmy Connors John Mackerel every time <laughs> yeah. they went to a sit-down you thought there was a chance for <laughs> fireworks yeah somebody might you know poke an elbow out <laughs> yeah. or somebody might say yeah. something and I think it brings an edge to it I love Nick Kyrgios's game, mm -hmm. and I do love the fact that he's not really getting into it as much with the chair anymore. It's just to his box. It adds a level of drama that is uncomfortable at times, but I do think villains are good. Now, Holger Runa may turn into a, a mm. sweet, charming guy, but when he's out there, there's an edge. That's you a good it. one to bring up because he's got the game. I mean, that's... Yeah. Don't ever gloss over the fact with Kyrgios and now Holger, like... They play at a high level, so they're in these conversations. Yes. Like, you can be that and not be in the top 10, top 50. These guys are going to be, or Holger especially, like, coming up at his age. Like right, well, today game. I had a little bit of Benoit <laughs> pair. I mean, he has that, but he's not an elite player. Right. So, it, you know, it, uh -huh. it's not really a part of the conversation yeah. at the top of the sport. I like the fact that Holger Runa <laughs> has that edge. I think it's very easy to love yeah. or hate him. And I just think... We want players to bring out the passion in fans yeah. where you feel super strongly like that's your player and you're rooting yeah. for them. And I think that on the women's side, Iga is a great champion, but the contrast in personalities with Arena Sabalenka is is huge. Yeah. And it's awesome. Sabalenka, you know exactly how she feels. <laughs> She's very self-deprecating. Yeah. Iga's like a machine out there. She mm. just plays such high-level tennis. So I think having contrasts in personalities, and I wouldn't describe either of those two women as villains, just so we're yeah, clear, right. but there's at least difference. Mm -hmm. But on the men's side, I, I always like the villains, and I think yeah. that, you know, sometimes there's behavior that you don't want to see represented on a court, the right? Villain might be strong. It's almost like maverick behavior, yes. like going against the grain, because, yeah, we don't know, like, even Kyrgios does great things off court, so does Holger Rune, you know, we, we think. I just think that it's good to see that competitive fire like, yeah, we like friendships off the court, but I, I kind of like when they go at it competitively. And I also like when like Holger and Stan have that moment and then Djokovic brings them together like Peacemaker and they're practicing. And, and also, how fun is it that yeah. now that Djokovic and Kyrgios are buddies mm -hmm. when, you know, 18 months ago, you <laughs> felt like if they yeah. were in the wrong place at the wrong time, they're yeah. going to throw down. Yeah. And now, you know, Djokovic is half kidding. Yeah. I think he really believes that if he coached Kyrgios, he, he, yeah. he could take him to five slams. So, yes, I think big personalities, maybe villain isn't the right word, big personalities both good or with a little bit of an edge. I just love it when a casual tennis fan, like one of my best friends from home recently, brought up Ben Shelton. He's like, he caught like a set of his match and he's like, wow, like I could get behind that guy. Yeah. I think Ben has spectacular talent, also plays with a smile on his face. Yeah. He's coming out of the college game at Florida yeah. where every match is a party. I think Shelton is a 
huge rising American star yeah. that I think can really captivate, you know, a different audience than we currently have. I think Ben is a great example of a player that should be sought after to coach because there's a lot of, there's a lot of clay that can be molded there. Yes. It's still rough around the edges. There's certain things he has to work on to get to the elite level, but the, but the DNA is there. You have the foundation. The right coach could take him to <laughs> who knows. Right. I mean, look at how quickly it's all happened. I mean, yeah. he was still considering playing at Florida this year mm -hmm. before he had all the success last yeah. summer in Cincinnati. And I just, the, the serve, the lefty serve, <laughs> his serve is so good. Yeah. I just think, again, it brings another fresh, fun personality into the game. And for those of us here, a great American player. Yeah. That, you know, I think there are a bunch of really good Americans, but I do think his upside is the best of all of them. A few more things with Ari Wolf here on Tennis Channel Insight. And on the, on the topic of Americans and Ben Shelton, I do want to agree with most of what you say. I think his upside might be the very best. The, other, the only one that I would add to the mix, depending on health and everything, would be Corda. For sure. And I say health because anytime risk comes up, you got to just you know be yeah. cautious and he's coming back. But he's someone that I think has the gifts and was, unfortunately, as is the tragedy of sports sometimes, was starting to put it all together yeah. before the injury. No, he's a, he's a solid player. I love his size. I like his overall game. I think he's got the personality. He's not wowed playing anybody. We've seen him play mm -hmm. against Nadal. We've seen him play against yeah. Djokovic. He seems to welcome the ultimate challenges in the sport. So I think Sebi Corda's right there. Taylor Fritz is already there. He's proven he's a top five player. I think he can end up winning a slam. But I guess when I'm just looking at mm -hmm. futures, right. you know, yeah. we all talk about gambling yeah. all the time now. I love futures in yeah. sports. And so, you know, if you're going to take a guy and be like, I'm going to lad, I'm going to put my money on this guy yeah. for his future, I would put Ben Shelton a little bit ahead mm -hmm. of Corda. If they're both healthy right now, I think Corda probably mm -hmm. wins. But I'm thinking in the bigger right. picture long term, I think Shelton's upside's off the charts. Well, Fritz is a good example, too, of how it's so process oriented and testament to him and the work he puts in. But, you know, Shelton's run in Australia was extraordinary because it doesn't normally happen like that. And to have year over year success, it takes time. It takes the 250 tournaments in South America to go, you know, it doesn't always just, as I say, Rome wasn't built in a day. And no. for Shelton, he's going to have to put the time in which he will. And that's why a couple of years down the road, it's something to you know revisit and see where we are. Right. But I, I already think that he could make a splash at Wimbledon. If he serves well mm. on a grass court, even if he's not all that comfortable yeah. on the surface, depending on, you know, draws are big. Seen it. Like, it's like, right. as he played, like that's, I mean, I his ranking's high yeah. enough that he could yeah. be seated potentially. Like he's uh -huh. seated this week in Madrid and considering how short a time he's been on tour yeah. to be seated at a 1,000. I think he's great. I think Fritz is waiting for his U.S. Open breakthrough. I think that's right. the tournament. I think he has the best chance to win. Right. And I think that there's unique pressure on Americans, and I think that I hope that he can overcome that because I think against the right opponent yeah. deep in the tournament, he could have a run like Francis had last summer. I think Wimbledon Fritz is going to do well, too, with with health. And yeah. Last year was so close versus Rafa. I, I wanna, we can kind of wrap on this because I think it's good to talk about the new era and while paying respect to Serena on the women's side, of course, the big three, big four with Murray. I think we might get into an era where we have, not maybe specialists, but we have more like split slam winners where you're going to see people clean up on specific surfaces. I don't know if you agree with that entirely, but Egon Clay going to be tough to beat. But will she have the stranglehold on the hard courts? I wouldn't think so based on the level that we're seeing from Sabalenka, Rabakin, and others. Well, I guess... Just using that example, I do liken Iga to Rafa in that I think yeah. she could have an incredible run at Roland Garros and yeah. 
double-digit title sounds like a silly thing to say. But, but you know, six is in, in play. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So I just think that, yes, I could yeah. see her, you know, dominating there. But, you know, because we saw her win a U.S. Open, I think she has a chance. Mm-hmm. I think grass is the one surface. We're just mm-hmm. not sure if Iga's game mm-hmm. will translate to it. But there's a lot of excitement around the sport. And I yeah. think that the specialization is something that we may see more and more of. But, you know, when you look at the champions of this era, mm-hmm. they could play on all of them. And right. the fact that they... The big three of all, you know, were able to win all <laughs> yeah. four slams. And you can't take that for granted, right? Because yeah. you know, McEnroe was my first hero. He, you know, that, yeah. that, that match in 84 at the French Open, I'm still yeah. losing sleep over <laughs> oh, it yeah. because it's just so hard. Yeah. But I think that, you know, American tennis is in a great place. Uh, tennis in general, I think, is in a really good place. I do think on the women's side, I love for another character to emerge. I mean, I mean, a great player, but also big personality because you can't replace Serena, but you hope a combination of players keeps American tennis interest in the women's game. So I'd love to see, you know, whether it's Jesse Pagula, the the natural one would be Coco. If Coco Mm -hmm. could win a slam, interest in women's tennis in America will, will, blossom again because i think coco has that charming personality that just transcends her own sport and she's someone that could be loved globally as that shoe deal is crossed over uh, for sure if we're talking just personalities in the game outside of the american bubble for me it's on shabor with what she can bring unfortunate injury for her but no I, i think it's in a great place and i think it's good to have a couple contenders in every event where we don't you know, we're not limiting the field. Because I think women's tennis has kind of gone back and forth on who are the best players, could anyone win it? We've kind of had some consolidation at the top, which I think is great because we're going to get rivalries as well. Right, you want champions. Yeah. You don't You don't want, you know, four different winners of the, of yeah. the majors every year. I don't think that, that helps build mm-hmm. interest in the sport. Uh, one thing I, I never get to get on my soapbox <laughs> about is I don't want anyone to ever forget how good Steffi Groff was. Because I think that, you know, Tennis Channel only started in 2003. If you weren't a diehard tennis fan, I don't think people appreciate how good she was because I would love to have seen on the very best day that Serena Williams was and the very best day Steffi Groff. I don't know who would win, but boy, I'd love to see it. And we always talk about cross-generational talents, but I do think that people sometimes forget Steffi Groff because remember, she won on all the surfaces. You know, she had the Golden Slam. I mean, she did incredible things. Now, she didn't have a... Because Monica Seles, everything that happened with her, she didn't have a long-standing rival. And I think that's the one thing that Serena missed yeah. in her career was a long-standing rival. If Maria Sharapova was her greatest rival, that wasn't much of a rivalry, right? One-way traffic. Yeah. yeah. So, in that yeah. sense, I just think it's so good for the sport. I mean, we'll yeah. never replicate Chris right. Everett, Martina, and Avratilova, but I grew up watching that. And their friendship that came out of their rivalry, I think, oh, is yeah. you know one of the great testimonies to what sports can do to bring two people who had literally, other than the love of tennis in common, yeah. they couldn't have been more different. And here they are, the best of friends. I think with Steffi Graf in regards to her, if you want to have a conversation about is she on Serena's level, it's fair. And I think some people on the outside might not understand just how good. Walked away early, too, was the other thing. If they play on clay, I'm going Steffi. If they play on grass, I'm going Serena. Hardcore, I'm flipping a coin. It's yep. that close. It's that close, right? Yeah. And I just I just think we don't have that conversation <laughs> yeah. enough. I just feel like Steffi has to be included. Mm-hmm. And look, on Martina's best day when she was serving in volleyball. Wimbledon would be fun. That'd be fun. Right? With Her Serena. and Serena at Wimbledon. I mean, <laughs> and can, they're we, not, can and we get a video game from their best days <laughs> yeah. and like match them up and see they're what not the not down either. That's the yeah. other thing. So that's no great. fear. Uh, Ari Wolf, this has been a pleasure. Uh, I guess we can kind of leave with this. What's got what's got you the most excited on this road to Roland Garros? We got Madrid, Rome, bigger draws now, and now some French Open with a little uncertainty on the men's side. What's got you the most excited? Well, again, it comes <laughs> back to me to Carlos Alcaraz. He's the one who's got me the most excited. I think given his current form and that we are expecting that even if Nadal plays at Roland Garros, he won't have had a lot of matches. Djokovic, the elbow a little bit. 
it would be quite something if Alcaraz were to win at Roland Garros and clearly establish himself as the new mm. star of this newest generation. It would give him a second slam. If he's healthy, I think he's got a real chance to win. A Carlos Novak final. They've only been in a few tournaments together. Right. Their match on clay was was maybe the match of the year, probably my vote for match of the year last year. So I mean, this week <laughs> last year was just incredible to watch Alcaraz beat Nadal and then Djokovic and Zverev. I mean, you thought... <laughs> This can't be happening. Yeah. It almost seemed like it was too good to be true. But now that we've seen Alvarez yeah. for a whole nother year, we know he's the real deal. But every tennis fan I talk to says, I just want to see Novak and Carlos, best of five. Don't care what the surface is. Mm-hmm. Let's just make sure they play at least a couple times yeah. so that we'll all be able to say, well, Novak was better or yeah. Carlitos was better. Clear the schedule. Get the family out to a <laughs> sports bar. You know, got to watch all five hours. Uh, Ari Wolf, thanks a ton for coming on Tennis Channel Inside In. A big fan of what you do and uh, always a blast talking tennis with another lifer. So thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate it. I had a great time talking tennis with you and hope we can do it again. Huge thanks to both Mark Knowles and Ari Wolf, the two guests on this week's show who took time out of their broadcast schedules to appear on Tennis Channel Inside In. And if you like the podcast, as always, here's your reminder. Go to tennis.com slash podcast. You'll find this show, the entire catalog of shows in our network. And remember, Tennis Channel Inside In is on all your podcast platforms. You can go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Now, as well as iHeart Podcasts. We're everywhere, and we will continue to grow as the road to Roland Garros rolls along. Next week, we're back to recap all that's happened in the Madrid Open. Look ahead to the finals. We're almost there, over a month away now, just over a month away from the start of the French Open. For Mark Knowles and Ari Wolf, my name is Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.